Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. We are also proud members of the Bar Network, which stands for Biblical and Reformed Network. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do so several ways. One, you can leave us a comment and share our podcast on your social media. Two, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And three, you can follow the link in our show notes to find all of the other ways that you can support us and connect with us. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And a large crowd followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for one to divorce his wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Well, hello, and welcome back to episode 44 of the Locust and Honey podcast. My name is Matt. And I'm Andrew. And today, we're going to be talking about biblical marriage. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew, it's been a minute, man. Yeah, it has. We have, uh, we have been taking... A day of thanks. Yes. Our Many last, days of thanks. Our last episode, we talked about Thanksgiving. Yeah. And uh, and then we missed last week, taking a break. Mm-hmm. But we are back with a vengeance. Yep. Some would say. We are. We had, well, we Emma and I had lots of days of thanks because we went, we had Thanksgiving on Thursday and Friday and Monday of last week, we had a church Thanksgiving last Sunday night. Yeah. So, a lot of thanks going on. Four thanks. A lot of eating going on. Yeah. We ate. We shot. Lots of bullets. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good time. (laughs) Yeah, we had fun. Uh, At my mom's house. Shout out to Gigi if you're listening. (laughs) We, uh, so my mom, it like Thanksgiving at her house is a big yearly thing. I've got cousins that live in Atlanta. They come down, they bring their kids. And, uh, so there's like 50 ish people that show up. Lots of food, Boston butt, ham, fried turkey, lots of macaroni and stuffing and casseroles of all sorts and lots of stuff pies and cakes and guns all the stuff but yeah so it's become a thing my cousin from atlanta his kids as they started to get older 
they would come down and shoot uh, my guns. And then I got another cousin, Dustin, that lives down here. And he would bring some guns and it became a big shooting thing. And they've, as they've gotten older, they've started crewing their own guns. And so now they're shooting their stuff and uh, get the grandparents shooting. Mm. It's fun. So we blew through tons of money on Thanksgiving <laughs> in ammo. But uh, yeah, we had a good time. Then Friday we had our Fiesta Mexicana mm. Thanksgiving. And uh, that was good. We had Thanksgiving at your house. Yep. That was cool. Yeah. Old Millie. Old Millie. We Old Millie the uh, dog. Watched the USA, Thai. Thai Wales. Wales. Yep. And then they went on to Thai England. And they went on to Thai England. We played a little FIFA. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I realized that the difficulty was set to like, uh, whatever the, if there's any FIFA fans, whatever like the second to hardest one. And so we intermediate. had what? Well, yeah, I mean, whatever it is, I can't remember Let's what just it's call called. It. Oh, intermediate. Let's call it expert. Expert. Yeah, it makes, it's like the hardest though, because it's not the hardest; it's the right. second to hardest. I don't know what yeah. the hardest is called. Insane is probably what it's called, but um, messy. We had we had we had Matt's boys playing FIFA on yeah. like this hard level, super hard. And then what was funny was Matt picked it up and he's like, all right, I'm going to score a goal real quick. Yeah, let quick. me score real quick. I'll get you <laughs> up a couple. It was on this hard level. <laughs> and it, and took so me, it took him the whole second half. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, and the boys are like, wait, I want to play now. And Matt's like, no, I've got to score. I've got to score. <laughs> they kept it kept interrupting yeah. my cross. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was funny. But, anyway. So yeah, Thanksgiving was fun. Had a good time. Um, let's start off. With our affirmations and denials. All right. Are you ready? Or you want yes. me to go? Well, I'm, I'm, right, I can hey. go, but hey, you can go too, hey. Drop them hot beans. beans. All right. All right. Let's drop these hot beans. <laughs> so I am going, I guess I'll affirm first. Ooh. I'm going to affirm um, biblical masculinity. Mm. Uh, for I feel men. like that's been affirmed before, but. Are we doing it for men? For men. Okay. Yes. For men. <laughs> Yeah. We um, have to clarify. Yeah, that's that's true. I guess I have to be more careful. Um, but I on a light note, as just easing our way into this topic for a few minutes, um, I saw this video of the Philadelphia Eagles offensive, well, not just offensive, but just linemen, defensive and offensive, mm. I think. They're creating a, a Christmas album. And yes. it was just funny to see you've got these like big, huge Brutes. specimens like yeah. singing and that, and they're pretty good and stuff. And like, I think that's something that's been, uh, I, I looked down on in men is men singing aside yeah. from the men that can like, obviously sing. like you've got like, you know, you're, you're right. Recording artists and all this. So it's like, yeah. okay, but like, like Nelly, like Nelly. Right. <laughs> I mean, he obviously can sing. So let yeah, him sing. When you think about singing, you know, I think about Nelly. Yeah. It's a good person. He's got a good voice. But it is getting hot in here. <laughs> I'm gonna keep my clothes on though. Okay. Um so but like as far as like a manly man, you think of like, you know, well, shooting guns and hunting and fishing and working with your hands and working out and all this stuff, but you don't really think of singing. Man, you're just describing me to a T. Man, I know. <laughs> Beards okay. and yes. yeah. Um Military background, <laughs> but like, 
But you don't think of singing really. And right. like I feel like that's something that needs to be recovered in masculinity. Yeah. We are a singing people and that doesn't just mean women. It means men leading in the singing. Yeah. You know, and so um so that's kind of the lighter note. But then Well, let me take your lighter note and, okay. and add a layer to the lighter. Okay, because good. there you go. I don't know if it was Piper or Doug Wilson, somebody a long time ago I heard them. But what what they were talking about with like masculinity, biblical masculinity, and fathers specifically, like it's good for us to be belting out hymns to the Lord in church and our mm. kids be sitting there and hearing us sing these songs to the Lord. Right. And like, you know, holding your kid and they're hearing you and feeling you sing out these songs to the Lord um, to kind of set that stage at on the Lord's day when we gather together with the saints, one of the things that we're doing and one of the things that I'm doing as a father is leading my family in singing these songs of praise to the Lord because he is worthy right. of all of that praise, you know? Mm. And so that always stuck with me. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and I, yeah, I think that's something that really needs to be just recovered. And I think the culture has really taken that away. But um, the other thing I would say would be more of a heavier note for me personally is I feel like it's been put on my heart by the Lord uh, to develop as far as being a, I guess you can say, so we talked about before being like dangerous, but good. Right. Yeah. So I guess you can put it under like protective category or being a provider category. But like, I didn't really grow up doing any of that stuff. Right. Um, I grew up playing baseball. I grew up training for baseball. Therefore I am not necessarily like I'm, I'm an, I'm like an athlete, but like, I'm not like a, brute force of a dude. Um, <laughs> and so, but you're working uh, on that in the gym. I am. And so, but that was one of those things though, where like, I was thinking about it and I mean, I'm 25. Um, I would like to see for my late twenties, like by the time I'm 30, I'd like to look at like myself and be able to say, okay, I can provide for my family or I can protect my family. And that does not, that doesn't necessarily just have to do with working out, but also like learning how to effectively, use a firearm, not just that, but learning how to eliminate threats, essentially. Right. Learning how to hunt, learning how to fish, learning how to um, prepare these things that you got for to be eaten and learning how yeah. to do all these different things. Kind of like, I think you were talking about a few weeks ago, but it's just been on my heart for that, for myself. And I was thinking the other day, like, you know, it would really be a cool thing for me for just that to be like my mindset as like a personal goal in my late twenties mm -hmm. to like, by the time I hit my thirties, because I feel like in my thirties, that's when you start to have like, you know, if you have kids, say you have kids in your late twenties, by the time you're in your, your thirties, they're you're teaching usually, them. Yeah, yeah, you're teaching them, you're leading them. And so, um, anyway, I'm going to affirm that. I think that's yeah. something that I would like to grow in personally. And I think that it's, um, something that a lot of, you know, boys, men, need to grow in as well um, in my generation, but also in generation, well, in all generations, but yeah. particularly like, I feel like people my age and younger, there's like this, the culture has taken masculinity and just run with right. it. You know what I mean? Said like, okay, if you can shoot a gun, like that's toxic masculinity. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Um, anyway, so. Hunting, all that stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's things that and, country boys do. Right. Know? Yeah. 
But and I, and I think kind of like what when when I was talking about it, like just having those skills to be able to to have so that you can provide and all that. Right. You know, it's good. We just uh Elijah's been hunting with me this year and we got our first buck this year and um he was like two hundred and ten pounds, big boy. Yeah. Uh only had seven points on him. But he was he was older, healthy, got a lot of meat and uh got him processed and the I remember the first time that Elijah was there when we skinned a buck. Mm-hmm. Well it was a doe. But uh, him watching that, he was like, okay, this is intense. Right. But, like, he liked it, you know? Yeah. But, like, just being able to, if he catches a fish, know how to clean it. Right. Because, you know, we've always been teaching them, we're not killing animals unless we're going to eat them or we're protecting ourselves from them. Right. You know, we don't just go around shooting birds or shooting deer, catching fish and killing them just to do it. Right. But, um, so that's kind of been our standard is if you're going to kill it, you're going to eat it or... It, you were protecting yourself or somebody else from it, mm-hmm. you know? But, yeah, man, uh, I like it. Yeah. I, I affirm your affirmation. All right. I'm going to be uh, self-promoting for a second. Okay. I affirm the Locust Honey Podcast. All right. All right. <laughs> we are uh, a year in. Uh, November, this is our 13th month doing it now. And, um, one thing that I would like to do is let everybody know how you can help us out. So what we've stated from our beginning episode to now is we're not looking for this podcast to be a source of income. So we don't care about that. Um, really like there's mics that we would like to get and stuff like that, but what we have is sufficient for Mm. what we're doing. So we're not looking to make money off of you guys and all of that. Uh, but what we are looking to do is speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. And that's where the listener comes in. You guys can help us reach the heart of the culture more so than we can on our own. Um, so we can, we can continue to put out episodes, which we will do because that's why we're doing this is we enjoy having these conversations. We enjoy recording them, but we want them to be helpful to other people as well. And, um, so, what we say every time in our intro is, is ways that you can support us. And, and that's, if there's an episode that you like that it's caused you to think, share it on your Facebook page, put a link so that people can listen to it. Um, share it on your social media, uh, put it in your stories on Instagram or whatever. TikTok. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know all the stuff, but, um, but those are ways that, that you can get, what we're saying to other people. Um, and then the other way that really helps in the algorithms is leave us a review. Um, if you're listening on Apple podcast, you can just click on our, um, our name and it takes you to our page and it says, leave a review. And so you can put stars, um, and, and do that. And then it says post, leave a comment and, uh, podcasts that have more comments that weighs in the algorithm. So they show that to more people that are looking for Christianity on podcasts and stuff like that. Uh, podcast is one of the growing platforms. There's millions upon millions of people that listen to podcasts. And so, uh, we would like for them to hear Christian podcasts from a biblical perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and it's sad that you have to say that nowadays, but there's a lot of podcasts out there that there it's that airy right. Christianity. There's no theological depth to it. And what we're trying to do is take deep theological truths and allow those to be understandable for the average person, uh, to be able to hear and wrestle with and work through, um, as we do that. So, uh, so that's one way that you can do it. And so what I was going to do for my affirmation is, uh, on Apple Podcasts, we have three reviews. I'm going to read them because okay. they're pretty funny. All so right. uh, there's a standard that's been set. If you leave a review, <laughs> it's got. It's, here's the standard. So uh, five out of five stars. Eight people have rated us. Mm. All have rated five, so we appreciate that. Um, so the first one is from, I don't know who it's from, but they titled it 1689 Marks of a Great Podcast. <laughs> and it says, are you looking for a good podcast? Then keep looking. Are you looking for a great podcast? Then look no further. <laughs> so that's our first one. Next one says, good work, fellas. The discussion on baptism and the Lord's Supper was good. The misconceptions that the American church has with these is common. And I feel it stems from an overcorrection of denominations and Orthodox churches ritualizing these sacraments and moving away from their intent. But the modern response to is to overcasualize them in meaningless acts, removing the spiritual nourishment and importance. Keep up the good work. And then our last one says, these guys are as good looking as they are funny. Mm. Did you leave that one? No, it wasn't me. Oh, it's probably tough. Man. Well, I don't know. That'd be weird. Mm. If your sister's talking about me, looking. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, for those of you that have left a review, we appreciate it. It does help. It helps other people hear what we got going on. So, if you would like to help us, you can do that. Also, if you're on Spotify, you can rate us. Um, when you click on our little page, it says leave a rating, and you can do that, and that helps us there as well. And then on Google, I'm not sure. I don't have a Google. <laughs> I don't know what they do. I don't have a Google. I don't have anything with uh, a Google account. So, <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah, so I, I know it, it's a couple extra steps. takes about five minutes to do, but it does help us out. So if you can do that, we would appreciate it. And I affirm all of you that are taking the time to do that. Uh, to those that are listening and sharing our stuff, we appreciate you. And for those that have just been listening from the beginning, um, we affirm you. Yes. All right, let's deny some stuff. All right. So I'm going to deny, and this is also, I guess, on a personal note, but I'm going to deny fear. Mm. So I have had battles. I think we both have battles with like anxiety and stuff like that. I remember growing up, I always had a lot of social anxiety for whatever reason. Like I would get in front or get not in front of people. That was the thing. I enjoyed being in front of people. Yeah. It was when I was in a group like of people. I was just kind of socially anxious, yeah. you know? Um, but anyway, I, over time, I guess that developed. And then, um, when I was in college, I had fear about like, you know, um, just the unknown as far as like theology goes. Like I had fear yeah. about, you know, the rapture and stuff like that. And right. that would kind of consume me sometimes cause I had a desi desire to do certain things and stuff like that. And, uh, like get married and have kids, get married, have kids, like all that stuff. Yeah. I think that's kind of something that people deal with. Um, and so now like 
I find myself fearing. Okay, so I like I go to the I've got a doctor's appointment this week, and I'm more fearful of the doctor. I feel like when I'm not sick for some reason. Yeah, because it's like there's the thought of like something just blindsiding you, you know. Right. <laughs> um, and so I think that got me just thinking through a rabbit hole of like, okay, why am I fearful of going to the doctor or something like that? You know what I mean? Um, and it's like, I think sometimes I, and my, like I've talked to other people who, you know, struggle with this too. I think it's something that a lot of people deal with, but like when you boil it down, it comes to a lack of, I guess for me anyways, a lack of faith in God's sovereignty that he is completely sovereign over things that we don't know. You know what I mean? Right. Like you don't know the future. You don't know what that holds. Um, and for me, for some reason, that tends to play out with things like doctor's visits. It doesn't, yeah. like I'm not necessarily fearful about like global affairs or like, you know, stuff right. that other people are it just happens to be doctor's visits. But I think yeah. that that's something that for a lot of people plays out in other areas as well. And so I'm going to deny that because I think that's something that is, um, well, for me, I think that, you know, Satan has just uh, had that play out in my life in various ways over the years. And I think that now maybe that happens to be doctor's visits. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but like, you know, we we can't, we're not called to be fearful because we have our faith. We have our trust in the one who's overcome the world. He's got all authority on heaven and on earth. He is completely sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over our lives and every single detail, every event that happens in them. And so everything happens on his timing and nothing occurs to him. You know, nothing right. takes him by surprise. And those are all very, it seems like cliche things that people say, but when you actually think about what that is saying and how that applies in life and how that plays out, I don't know. It's just something I have to remind myself a lot. So I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, deny fear. Yeah. Cause it's not good. Right. I so. did a, a sermon, um, where in scripture when it's talking about fear and, um, what I've said is that fear is a lack of trust in the goodness of God. Mm -hmm. Um, so like what you're saying, if we know that God's sovereign, but ultimately we know that he's good and all things work together for his good and for our good and his glory, yeah. um, then we don't have to be fearful of what happens. We just trust the Lord. So the opposite of fear is trust. Mm -hmm. Um, if I trust God, I'm not going to be as fearful. And now all of us are going to fear stuff. Um, but the more we trust God's word and his promises, then the less fear we have. Yeah. You know? So, uh, when I'm fearful of the unknown, whether it's health issues or things that I can't control in my body, then I have to trust God and his goodness, yeah. you know, because he's given us promises. And that's why it's important to stay in the word as we're constantly reading his promises Faith is not in this blind thing. Like when we have faith in God, mm -hmm. uh, it's not this blind leap of faith where I'm just going to jump off this cliff and hope that God grabs me. Um, that's nowhere in scripture, you know? Yeah. But what we are called to do is to read his promises and believe them to the point that it causes action. That's yeah. what faith is, you know? So 
as I'm reading his promises to me, me believing those promises and acting on them, it produces trust, which eliminates fear, mm. you know? Um, so like, think about it from a very simple way. Like when I'm talking to the youth about sharing the gospel with somebody, just to go up to somebody and have a gospel conversation, there's a lot of fear there. Right. And, um, and, and because it's a lack of trust of God's promises, you know, God has promised that he is going to use us to be his mouthpiece, you know, mm-hmm. and he's promised that he's going to give us the words to say, you know, um, but when I'm not in the word and I'm not being shaped and transformed by the word, uh, then it's a lot more fearful for me to go and have this conversation. Right. You know? But when I am like uh, Peter and John, when they were taken before Caiaphas and all of the high priests, and they said, we can't help but tell the things that we've seen and heard from our time spent with Christ. Like that should be us. Mm-hmm. You know, they were not fearful because they were trusting God and his promises. They were trusting everything that Christ had taught them. They saw him die on the cross. They saw him, you know, raised from the dead and they were trusting what he said to be true. And so that eliminated fear for them. And uh, so if we spend time with Christ, then we can't help but tell of what we've seen and heard in that time we've spent with him, Mm -hmm. you know? But then likewise, if we spend time with Christ, then we trust that he is our great physician and he will heal us and he will you know, all of that stuff. And if trials come, whether it's health trials or um, whatever the trials are, we can say it is well with my soul because we're thankful for what we have in Christ and that this life is but a vapor, Mm -hmm. but we're immortal immortal beings and we will always be with him if we have been covered in the blood. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, man, uh, I think everybody struggles with fear, but the more we're in the word and the more we're trusting his promises that he's given to us and know that they're good for us and best for us, then it's a lot easier to have faith in his goodness and not be as fearful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I like it. All right. My denial is going to lead us right into our episode. All right, then. I'm denying this new marriage protection act that's being proposed uh, in the Senate and has already gotten the votes to go to the floor. Uh, 60% of the votes voted for this Marriage Protection Act. And what it's saying is we need to legislate and protect gay marriage. Um, so all of, the, all of the Democrats voted for it and 10 Republicans voted for it. Mm. 12 Republicans? 10 or 12. I don't mm. remember now. Um, anyway, it's a bipartisan thing that's going to the floor and they're going to be voting on it. I don't think they voted on it now. I think they took a break for Thanksgiving, but they're going to be voting to uh, legislate the right to have gay marriage. And so that leads us to our episode today, which is biblical marriage. All right. What does the Bible say about it? I've got some questions that I want us to kind of work through, and this will kind of, I guess, work as the structure for today's episode. Yeah. This is a conversation. Uh, This isn't something that we've got a whole lot written down on. So let's converse. Let's start off with this. What is marriage? Well, marriage is um, an institution that was created by God uh, when he created um, male and female. He commanded them to, number one, he commanded them to be fruitful and multiply, but also um, he 
said that for this reason, they shall leave their father and their mother and hold fast to one another. Um, and they shall become one. And in that he created marriage. And so we've got, um, which I think may be a question later on, but we've got for the purposes of ultimately, um, displaying, um, the gospel, um, displaying God's relationship with man, God's relationship with the church, uh, displaying his goodness and his created order. And then also, um, being fruitful and multiplying and, um, fulfilling that command that God has given man to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of this kind of stem, we were going to do this episode, uh, anyway. And then Joe Rogan just had Matt Walsh on Mm -hmm. and Matt Walsh is the guy. He did a documentary called, um, what What is is a a woman? woman? Yeah. And, um, but he was on Joe Rogan's podcast and, uh, he was talking about marriage and Joe Rogan was saying, you know, what does it matter if gay people get married? And Matt Walsh was saying, well, one of the primary things, uh, that defines what a marriage is, it's procreation, you know, and a, a gay marriage can never procreate in and of themselves. Um, and so there was a lot in, in, in their interaction. Um, and so I, I wanted to yeah have this conversation because we were already planning on it. And then ha- hearing that interview, some things I wanted to touch on. But I, I agree. I think you brought out most of what it is. I would say um, ultimately in, in the passage that I read in Matthew, and then it's also in Mark, um, the easiest definition of what is a marriage it's what God has joined together. Mm-hmm. Uh, when God joins things together, they're married together. You've got two things that become one. And um, and so just for simplicity's sake, what is a marriage? It's what God has joined together. Yeah. So um, should two males or two females be allowed to marry? Well, no, because yeah. it's not a marriage. Okay. So it, I think, I don't know if you saw this or not, but I really like this illustration that was used. Um, so Jeff Durbin did a review of the Matt Walsh interview. Okay. One of the things that he said was, um, let's say you're making a pot of stew and you've got the different ingredients that you marry together, mm. the different spices that you marry together. Yeah. Well, having a man marry a man or a woman marry a woman (laughs) is a lot like taking salt and pouring it into the stew and then putting more salt into the stew and saying you're marrying the salt with the salt. It just doesn't work. You've got two of the same things. They can't be joined together in a marriage because definitionally that's not what it is. But also... um, no, just because that God has not defined it as that. He's defined clearly what marriage is. It's a man and a woman uh, being joined together. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, but. No, yeah. And so like this Marriage Protection Act, um, by definition, it's it's destroying marriage. Right. Because it's seeking to erode the definition of what marriage is. Um 
And, and so when we go back to what is a marriage, if it's what God has joined together, it's theological by nature. Um, so you can't define nature apart from God and his word. Um, right. He has created marriage and he's defined marriage. And so when God created marriage back in Genesis, he's, he creates Adam and then he said, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to find you a suitable helpmate. And then he creates a suitable helpmate for Adam, which is Eve. Mm. And then he takes Adam and Eve and he then calls them Adam, mankind. The word mankind is Adam. And, uh, and so Eve is not Adam by herself, but Adam and Eve together is Adam. Um, and, and, and so what you've got there is God's creating marriage, but he's also defining what marriage is. Yeah. Marriage is the joining of a man and a woman together for the purpose of glorifying him and reproducing people to glorify him, you know, and, and what he did not join together is by definition, what a marriage is not. Mm -hmm. He didn't create another man. He created a female, not a male. Um, he didn't create two females. He didn't create, you know, uh, an animal. He didn't create all of these things. He didn't create, but he did join together a man and a woman. Right. And, and so when he established the family, he defined what the family is and he created the family to be a blessing to people. And what our current culture is trying to do is erode what the family is and therefore erode the blessings that come with a family. Mm -hmm. um, because our current culture is atheistic and they want to function apart from God and his law and his order. Yeah. So uh, to do that, they have to tear down the family, you know, um, mm -hmm. especially when you start thinking about procreation and creating other people. Um, a gay couple can't do that. And so for them to continue to reach the next generation with their ideology, they've got to have kids to do that with. And if these kids are in well-established families, it's hard to reach them. Right. So let's tear apart the family so that we can control the next generation to mm -hmm. think the same way that we do. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah. So should two males or two females be allowed to marry? Uh, by definition, they can't mm -hmm. because God's not joined them together. Right. And that's what a marriage is. It's when God joins two people together. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, no, they should not be allowed to marry. Um, so one of Joe Rogan's things with that was, uh, well, if a marriage is um, two people that come together for the purpose of procreation, what do you do when people get married and don't desire to have kids, you know, um, mm -hmm. should they desire that? And so our next question is that should married people desire to have children? Mm -hmm. What do you think? Well, I would say that they should desire to have children. Okay. Um, that's, that is a, a commandment that was given, um, be fruitful and multiply. Right. Yeah. And, and so marriage is the arena in which that is to take place. It's right. the, um, it is the context that God has created for that to happen um, because a marriage is the beginning of a family unit, which is, again, it is the arena in which 
people are ought to be growing up in. Okay. Um, now, well, what about this though? So, like, I'm married. Mm-hmm. This is not true, but um, for this scenario, I'm married. I love my wife very much. I have a job that requires a lot of time and work, and so my wife also has a job that requires a lot of time and attention. And we are both perfectly happy with uh, spending time during the week at our jobs. And then on the weekends, we go and travel and do all kinds of fun stuff together. Uh, We both have zero desire to have children. Mm -hmm. Is that wrong? Um. I I would say I would say so because because ultimately, and I'm sure we'll talk touch on this, but marriage is not just about procreation. I mean, it's also about those things. It's also about having a companion. It's about um, being able to rejoice in the blessing that God has given you. It's about mm-hmm. being able to satisfy your sexual desires. It's about being able to um, represent uh, what God's relationship with man is as far as the husband being the the bridegroom and and um, loving his wife as Christ loved the church and the wife being the bride and um, submitting to the head as the church submits to Christ. And all of that is true, but part of the, a big part of that is also procreation. And so if your yeah. marriage is lacking that because you don't, because you don't want that to occur. Now there's situations where there's infertility that happens and things like that. But um, because you are making the conscious effort to not make that happen, I do think that there needs to be some realignment of priorities there. So Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I would take it a step further. I'll be, I'll be the bad guy. I'll be the bad cop. (laughs) Okay. Um, if you both desire to not have children, then you ultimately don't have a biblical marriage. Yeah. Um, you've got two selfish people that are coming together to live selfishly. Mm. That's not a marriage. Yeah. Um, now, the the argument then goes, okay, well, what about people that do desire it, but they're infertile mm-hmm. and they can't have kids? Is that not a marriage as well? If we go back to our definition of what a marriage is, what God has joined together, God has joined together men and women where one of them was infertile, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so infertility is not the, the, the law. It's the exception to the law, right. you know, but in scripture where you see infertility, you also see a desire to have kids, right. You know, it's a um, aching yes. thing. It's, right. it's so like Rachel, right. Or like, you know, there's tons mm-hmm. of examples, but, um, so God has joined together, a man and a woman where one of them is infertile and they can't have children for a time or indefinitely. Um, but that's the exception to the rule. So right. then to say, okay, well, since that person's infertile, then nobody should desire children is like saying, uh, who was it? Somebody said, you know, it's like saying we should all get rid of a kidney because there are some people that their kidneys don't work, you right. know, and so they cut a kidney out. So we should just all cut a kidney out. Yeah. Um, that's not the rule. That's the exception to the rule. You know, um, that's not the norm. That's not how God has created and established a marriage relationship to be. Uh, there are people that struggle with that. Um, but that's not the, the norm. The norm is that we should desire to have children 
because we're in a marriage relationship. And one of the things that defines a marriage, not the only thing, but one of the things that defines it is it's a, a relationship of procreation, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, so, so far where we're at is, um, marriage is the joining of a man and a woman for the purpose of procreating and displaying Christ to people in their relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, then you get into like Deuteronomy, uh, chapter six, I think. Hero Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and teach these diligently to your children. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when you're walking down the road, when you're doing whatever you're doing in all things, the forefront of our children's mind should be, we're teaching them to, uh, to love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and we are raising them up in the admonition of the Lord. Yes. So, um, all right. Should people desire to get married? Um, I, I would say yes. And I think this is something again, that has been, um, that the culture is just kind of taken and run with. Um, and it's made its way into Christian circles. I think that there's a lot. Uh, I, I would I would venture to say there is a lot more people who believe that they have the gift of singleness than actually do. Right. Um, I think that there are there are people who may, and it's it's sad, but I think there are people who maybe have given up on trying to pursue marriage, mm-hmm. and so they're like, "Well, I must have the gift of singleness. So I'm just gonna." Right. I think that. Ultimately, but then, but then that then seeps its way into theology. So yeah. you've got these situations that need to be dealt with um, of people who are having a hard time finding someone to marry, but that still doesn't change what the truth is, which is that yes, people should desire to be married. Right. Um, it, it, if it, it, as a new husband, relatively new husband, yeah. One of the things that I'm learning right off the bat is I. Would there is no way that I would be sanctified? Well, there's not, not that there's no way, but like I'm sanctified so much more by my wife than any other avenue in life, yeah. like on a completely different level. And then you once know? you have kids, that level doubles, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it is like it is, it's crazy, you know. And and I think that yes, there are people, um who are single all their lives and and the Lord uses them greatly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that is a lot less than we like to think. Right. I um, think singleness and the gift quote unquote of singleness uh, has been used kind of like foreign missions has right. been used where it's like, uh, all right. So to kind of explain this, should we desire to get married? Yes. Uh, biblically, the answer is yes. God created us to desire to be married. Mm-hmm. That's why he created men and women, male and female, um, for them to join together to be one complete person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a lot of people, even in the church, that 
aren't married yet because they've let culture dictate what they should be looking for. Mm, yeah. And, and, and so I think the two main things that have eroded this in the church, uh, for men, it's pornography. And for women, it's, um, romantic comedies and like <laughs> romantic comedies and like yeah. romantic novels and all of that stuff. Yeah. Right. So, uh, for men, there are boys that are on their phone and they're getting into pornography and, and they're letting that shape and define what they should be looking for in a spouse, mm -hmm. um, or what they're attracted to. And they're in sin and letting sin define what their future wife should be. Right. Um, which at that point, the world's defining it, not God. Right. So when they see a godly woman, they don't have that desire for her because it's not meeting this ungodly expectation of what they've created in their mind. Right. And then for women, they're in emotional porn where they're watching these romantic comedies. And most of the time, what they're looking for is an effeminate male, you know, yes. somebody who's That's an effeminate male. Yeah. And, and yeah. so now I'm looking for this definition of what a husband should be, somebody who's caring and nurturing and, well, not that a man's not caring and nurturing, but it, it's more effeminate qualities right. uh, of what women are doing. Uh, they're they're over emotional and they like to share and they like to talk. You know what I mean? It's right. like um, the prince charming is always this effeminate male, right. and and so then they've defined okay, well, this is what I'm looking for. So when the average male comes along and things that he's doing that are rough around the edges because he's trying to be a biblical masculine male. Mm -hmm. um, she's not attracted to that. Um, and there are some things that that person would probably need to grow in, mm -hmm. but he's showing characteristics of, of what a, a biblical masculine male should look like. And she's looking for more of an effeminate male because the emotional porn that she's watched has shaped how she sees her future husband, yeah. you know, and then you've got feminism and what that's done to the culture too, on both sides where the woman's looking to be empowered and wear the pants and all of these things, uh, which makes a, a biblical male not attractive. You Doubly know? because right. then you've got the, the whole effeminate male thing. And, well, then and, and now he's the patriarchy. Right. You know, but then it also makes men want to appear more effeminate, mm -hmm. you know? And so then they're trying to be effeminate, but then they're having a hard time coping with that. And, uh, and things just kind of fall apart, right. you know? So I think the culture defining what a biblical man and a biblical woman should be has led to the church, um, getting married later in life, uh, or feeling like they're settling, Mm -hmm. You know, because they're not letting God's word define what their future spouse should look like. Uh, and then you've also got the culture that's saying we don't need to get married because we can live together. We can have sex. We can do all of these things. We don't need the paper to say that we're married. Right. Um, because marriage has been reduced to the government's blessing on a relationship. But mm -hmm. that's not what it is at all. You know, the the government is is not... Uh, when we go back to our three circles of governance that God created, he created the family, he created the magistrate, and he created the church, you know? And so to say that the magistrate defines what a marriage is, 
all three of those are under God. God defined what a marriage was when he created the, the government of a family, Mm -hmm. you know, and by definition, the government of a family is a pastoral fatherly head, a male head. And then, um, the wife who's subject to the male and then they're creating children for the purpose of glorifying God. You know, by definition, that's what a marriage is. Yeah. Um, and, and so, uh, if, if we're just looking for, uh, that to be defined by the government and get their stamp of approval on it, then, then that's where you get questions like, well, why can't two males get married or two females? And, you know, um, ultimately the answer is because that's not who God's joined together. He's joined together a man and a woman and, uh, and, and that's a representation of him. So all marriages are proclaiming who God is. Um, they're either proclaiming them well, or they're proclaiming them poorly, you know, but, uh, if two men join together in quote unquote marriage, one, it's not a marriage by biblical definition. Um, it's just a government thing and you've got a government that's, uh, it's overstepped its, its bounds and power. And, uh, it's no longer just there to protect people, but it's now trying to do what God does. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you've already got a tyrannical government at that point, but if they're saying two men are married, um, then what those two men are doing is they're giving an apostate declaration of who God is you know, who Christ is. Um, or if you've got a a guy that marries two women, then you're giving a unbiblical declaration of who Christ is Mm -hmm. because Christ is faithful to his bride, the church. Um, just like the husband is to be faithful to his bride, you know? So if a husband cheats on his wife, he's, he's proclaiming who Christ is and that Christ is an adulterer mm-hmm. and that's blasphemy, right. you know? So the things that we do are, are important because it's who we're declaring Christ to be to those around us. And, um, and then that goes to this last question that I've got. What about divorce? Um, mm-hmm. What does the Bible say about divorce? And uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I think that... Um, Divorce ultimately is something that should be uh, avoided at all costs. Um, but I think that, okay, so I think divorce is something that has been, again, hijacked by the culture. And it's, you know, now the culture sees it as well. Dating is basically just like the next commitment of, I mean, marriage is basically like the next commitment of dating. It's like a, mm-hmm. like a, um, just a more committed thing. And then if it doesn't work out, we well, can just always get a divorce. Right. That is sinful. I think that, div- I think that divorces, okay, basically what I'm trying to get to is, I think that divorces should be much, much fewer and far between than they are, not necessarily because of the fact that um, people just shouldn't get divorced. But I think that the, parameters in which divorces should be accepted um, is a lot, lot, a lot slimmer than I think even Christians believe it to be. Okay. So what are those parameters? Well, I would say a um, spouse who is um, 
doing something that is um, like like we were saying before that is taking the marriage and completely warping it. So not just like, you know, a spouse that's, you know, has a problem with like, um, ah, I don't know, like being lazy or something, but like, you know, a spouse that is completely warping the marriage, whether that be cheating, whether that be abuse, whether that be something like that. And then not just that, but then unrepentant in that. And that's really it. I don't really see any other, any other thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's where I'm at. Because it, when you look at scripture, you know, like you look at the divorce of God with Israel. Mm-hmm. Well, ultimately it's because Israel was cheating over and over and over and over and, and just unrepentant and unrepentant and unrepentant for thousands of years. Right. And then God divorced Israel. And now the bride is the church, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And so I think that is really it <laughs> yeah. um so well and i think uh the the passage that i read um when they asked him is it lawful for uh to divorce one's wife for any cause he answered you have read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one and therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of a divorce to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And so I would say like, that's the answer, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but even then, uh, I, I think if we have a biblical understanding of what marriage is, um, then there should be a, a lot more wrestling through. Um, one of the things that our culture has done is made divorce very easy mm-hmm. with um, no at fault divorce or just annulling marriages. Um, so like before somebody had to have a reason, there had to be somebody at fault for the divorce. But now, uh, most states have no at fault where you can just both say neither one of us did anything wrong. We just don't want to be married anymore. Right. Um, and, uh, and so that's unbiblical. Uh, the Bible does not support that. What God has joined together, let nobody, no person separate that, you know, um, a marriage is God taking two people and making them one flesh. And if you try to tear apart that, then you're ultimately killing the the person that God's created, that two becoming one, you know? Um, so now there are situations where um, due to sin or selfishness uh, where there are unhealthy marriages and those marriages need to be separated. Um, but I think this all ties closely too, though, to the church and biblical mm-hmm. discipline. Right. Um, I think if most churches were doing biblical discipline like they should be, you'd have a lot fewer divorces in the church mm-hmm. um, where, you know, say you got a husband and a wife and they're having marital problems. The the husband doesn't love the wife like he should. Um, and if that's brought before the the pastor or the elders of that church, 
then they sit down and they counsel that person. Here's what the Bible says. Here's, you know, um, your lack of love stems from your actions, right? Um, you, love is not just this emotional feeling. Love is an action. It's something that you're doing. And if you don't have that emotional feeling, it's because you're not doing what you're called to do. Mm-hmm. And so you need to repent of that. You need to turn from your sin and you need to start loving your wife in action, you know? Um, and then the emotional response follows. Um, but what you've got is where guys or girls just don't have that emotional feeling and so they're like well we need to get a divorce um but they're they're not being biblical biblically counseled on what love is Mm -hmm. you know and um and so then though if the if the person still remains remains unrepentant then it gets brought before the whole eldership and um and if they still remain biblically unrepentant it gets brought before the church this person is being unfaithful to his wife. He's unrepentant. He's no longer displaying fruit of being in the body of Christ. And we need to disassociate him as being a part of the membership of the body of Christ because of their actions, you know? Uh, And then you're, you're doing that for the purpose of restoration and that person coming back to Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they don't, then they show themselves to have never been a part of the body in the first place, you know? Um, if that was happening, there would be far fewer divorces in the churches today. Mm -hmm. Um, And there would be a lot more healthy marriages in the churches today. Uh, But most people have allowed the culture to define what a marriage is and therefore they can define what a divorce is and what it should be. And uh, so, yeah, I I would say um, there are circumstances where divorce is biblically accepted um and i would so like if you've got a let's say you've got a wife and her husband's cheating on her and he's unrepentant and you go through these uh you know you go through the whole steps of church discipline and um and and the guy still remains unrepentant and then he's uh excommunicated from the body of christ and then he continues his relationship with this girl and then they get married and all of that stuff um if if <clears throat> that lady's gone through a time of, of healing and people pouring into her and stuff like that, um, I, I could see situations where I would, you know, um, allow her to possibly remarry. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as, you know, you just, well, me and my husband didn't work out. We started getting mad. We started fighting. We started just not getting along. And so we both got a divorce and now we're both remarried and you know what I mean? Um, there's, there's not biblical grounds for that because we're not taking into account what the Bible says a marriage is and what the Bible says a husband is and what the Bible says a wife is and, uh, all of that. And so, um, but that goes back to allowing scripture to define all of these terms and not allowing the culture to define them. Um, so what are your closing thoughts on this, man? I think there's a lot that we can dig into uh, yeah. in future episodes as far as biblical roles of a husband, biblical roles of a wife. What does the Bible say about all that? Mm-hmm. Um, but for today, what are your closing thoughts? Well, I, th- I think that uh, marriage is much more um, beautiful 
when it's defined by God as opposed to the culture. I think the more that we, as a church and as um, and and then as the church begins to infiltrate the culture, um, the more that we lean into and understand how God defined marriage, how He defined the roles of men and roles of women, um, how He defined who gets married and and the fact that men marry women and women marry men, you know, and, and, um, it actually is a lot more beautiful, a lot more satisfying, a lot more fulfilling, um, than that, um, which the culture portrays, which to be quite honest with you, I think at this point, the culture is just not even, I was going to say the culture is portraying like this, you know, um, this view of marriage that's uh, shiny and sparkly and all that stuff, but really the culture is just making marriage the the thing that is to be avoided. Um, and so that's unfortunate. But yeah, I think uh, the more that we lean into the biblical understanding of marriage, the more we see the true beauty of it. So... Yeah, and um, just kind of go off of that, and what I was going to say is, like, once you step away from a biblical definition of what marriage is, if it's the joining of a, a man and a woman, uh, once you step away from that, then all bets are off. So if now a man and a man can, can get married or a woman and a woman, then why can't a man marry four women or why can't? four women marry each other or why can't a brother marry two of his sisters or why can't a guy marry his dog or anything else? Once you step away from how God defined and set up a marriage, then all bets are off and you just, you you go to chaos. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like what we've said from the beginning, you've either got Christ in order or you've got chaos and, uh, and disintegration. So, um, with that said, I hope that this episode's been helpful for you guys. Uh, yeah. I, I hope that it helps kind of define some of the terms because this is a conversation that everybody's going to be having uh, at one point or another with the the direction our culture is going and the ways that our culture is pushing us to redefine marriage. So um, if you are still here, we love you guys. Hope you have a good Lord's Day and we will talk to you next week. That we will. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.